morning, church. Pastor Greg here. Welcome to worship at Union Chapel. May 17th, we're in the middle of a, of a season when we are isolated at home and starting to roam about a little bit more. Hope you're doing okay. This has been a test though, hasn't it? This is a test, seriously. I know that we have been thinking thoughts, feeling feelings, saying words, reacting, acting in ways that maybe have caught us off guard a little bit. You know, in life, when you're under pressure and things are different, things are, are unusual, that it tends to pressurize our lives and whatever's in us under pressure tends to squeak out of us. And that's why some of those words and emotions may be a little unfamiliar to you. Been thinking about that a little bit and wondered if I might be able to encourage us by considering the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a text that we find in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul writing to the church there. And so I've chosen as our text for today and for this next few weeks on the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Today I'm going to read from verses 16 to 26. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And of course, we'll project these words on the screen. And this is a whole segment on the fruit of the Spirit. Hear the word of God. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. May God enlighten, inspire, and encourage us through his word today. Thank you so much. Um, this first phrase from our text, verse 16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires or gratify the desires of the flesh. Interesting phrase there. The Greek verb tense is very specific in this case, and it reminds us, reminds us that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now watch the difference. It doesn't say, it does not say walk by the spirit and don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit and don't sin. That would imply that we can walk by the spirit and then grit our teeth and summon all of our willpower and somehow manage to overcome temptation and sin. But that's not the implication here. It's very clear that if we walk by the Spirit, incline ourselves toward the Spirit, incline ourselves toward our relationship with God, and depending on the resources of God, the character of Christ being shaped and formed in us, 
the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not. We will not carry out the desires of the flesh. One will overcome the other. One will trump the other. One will supersede the other. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Really important principle. Now, if we were to ask a million people today what your greatest wish is or your greatest desire, uh, you, you know, we get a comment about let's can we go back to normal but besides that people wouldn't normally answer that question by saying well i'd like to have more money or more wealth or more power or more fame i'd like to be more popular and this is this is a common response but if a person was being absolutely honest and very careful about their answer a wise person would say what i want more than anything else in my life is more love, more love. We have lots of people live on, on the margins emotionally, living right on the edge relationally and lacking love, becoming more and more discouraged and, and depressed as a result of that lack of kind expression toward their own lives. And so we find a, a world now where the words I love you is used very commonly, but I think very much misunderstood, misstated, misapplied. For example, sometimes a husband will say to his wife, I love you. Uh, but what he is really saying, what he really means is I'm middle-aged, I'm losing my way, I'm not sure I, who I am anymore, uh, I really need my mother, uh, but you'll have to do. And, and basically he's saying, if you'll, if you'll provide for me supper and occasional sex in our relationship, that'll be enough to maybe hold me over. Uh, the woman says, the wife says back to his husband, I love you too. And what she really means is I'm so starved for meaningful male affection. I just want somebody, anybody to love me and you'll have to do. And so she puts up with it. A teenager may say, uh, to his father, I love you, but what he really says is, can I borrow the car? A uh, daughter may say to her mother, I love you, and what she really means is, I lost your, your very expensive earrings, and I don't want you to kill me. Um, a boyfriend may say to his girlfriend, I love you, and you know where that's going, but what he re really means is, will you have sex with me? And she says, I love you too, and, but she really means my ego is so bruised and my, my, my psyche is so battered and neglected by unloving society and my unloving family and my unloving culture that I'm willing to allow myself to be used in the backseat of this automobile so I can pretend for a little while that someone really loves me. Now, that all may sound negative and cynical to you, but we live in a culture that has lost the fuller and grander meaning of the implications of the words, I love you. I want to put a definition of love. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Um, if you ask Americans today, what's the definition of love? Most of them couldn't get it right. But this is the true definition of love. Look at it. Love is not a special way of feeling. No. Love is volitional goodwill. It is a matter of my will my choice. If it is goodwill, then it is to will good things for someone else. So love is anchored in principle and conviction. So important that we hear this. 
So in other words, it's not some windblown feeling that's a, a drift in some stormy sea, unpredictability of my emotions. It's not that. Um, if I love you only means that you give me a gush of emotion toward you, or I think you're beautiful in physical appearance, or you make me feel good, or I get some romantic blush toward you because you gave me a flower, then we will have missed the point entirely, completely off point. If that's all love means, then a new car means love. Or a dozen flower roses means I, I love you. Or a poem means love. Instead, listen to me, listen to your pastor. Love is a choice. It is a volitional, diligently applied act of my own will for good towards someone else. I choose to love. It's an act of my will, my choice to love you and to do good for you. That's love. In 1 John 4, we read about God's love. And when we hear about God's love, we, we are all drawn to that because God's love is faithful. It's consistent. It's unconditional. It's true. It never wavers. It never fails. And so we know that that's the love of God. And we say, well, yeah, we want God to be consistent in his love toward me. You know, when I'm good, I want his love. When I'm bad, I want his love. But as it turns out, God's love in the context of his character and nature, all of those virtuous aspects of his love, we want extended to us. Guess what? God expects our love to be in the same vein, the same character, same quality. So the spirit of God, think about it this way, is the spirit that wills good toward us at a personal cost. You say it another way. It cost God a lot to send his son to the world. So it costs it cost God a lot to choose to love the world. So God demonstrates his love. He models us authentic love in the expression of the gift of his own son. And so we learn what authentic love looks like. Now the counterfeit, the counterfeit of true divine love is love that's more uh, earthly in nature. It's more fleshly. It's more carnal. All false love is need oriented. Let me explain. It's based not on what I can give, uh, but more about what I can get. True love, of course, is giving oriented. False love says, meet my need, fulfill my desire. So if you're courting, for example, you're in the romance stage of a relationship, and this is an important stage for people developing partners, questions should be asked. Um, if such and such happens, if circumstances change, if my health changes, if, if, my, if my fortune is lost, uh, hypothetical questions. If such and such happens, will she still love me? Will he still love me? So it's a good question. Uh, and young ladies, by the way, if, uh, if you think you found your, your prince charming, please stop long enough to notice how he treats his mother. If you notice how he treats his mother, you will have a good inclination on how he's going to treat you. Just a good marker. Uh, years ago, I was at Lakeside, Ohio, uh, doing some ministry there. I took Beth and the kids with me, and so we, we had the whole week. I was uh, doing, leading a Bible study in the morning and preaching Vesper services at night for this family camp. Uh, 
And there was a, a man there who was caring for his wife. And she was in a wheelchair. You could note that she had either suffered a stroke, a severe stroke, or she was in some stage of dementia. And she wasn't there. I mean, he consistently had to wipe her face from drooling and, and again, pushed her around, pushed her, pushed her into our morning Bible study every day. Uh, in the afternoon, I would see them occasionally at the, at the refreshment stand and he would carefully lift her out of her wheelchair and sit her down on a bench so that he could sit right next to her and feed her ice cream or a little treat. It was uh, amazing. At the end of the week, I uh, approached this man and I told him that he had inspired me. And I said to him, well done, sir. And he looked at me just as sincerely as he could. And he said, and I quote, I owe her so much. It's a privilege for me to care for her. It's very powerful. That is real love. Love that endures. Love that's not just dancing in the moonlight or walking along the beach hand in hand. It's a sacrificial, selfless willingness to bring good to another person. Real love is giving, it's doing, it's dying, it's going without. It's the, it's the mother who for years eats the chicken wing and makes sure her children have the best parts. It's, it's uh, love that endures the choices when the choices don't make sense. A friend of mine, his name is Dan Johnson. We served together on the board at Asbury Theological Seminary. And Dan has a brilliant daughter, beautiful, and rose to the age of a young woman, had a degree in education, was teaching school, and then suffered a horrible traffic accident. And she experienced severe brain damage. She'd only been married a couple of years, and now she was in this therapy, this recovery. She had to learn how to walk again, how to talk again, how to feed herself. She was, and remains to this day, significantly diminished. She is physically diminished. She is mentally diminished while she functions. And she, you know, she's independent that way. Uh, she is not the same, not the same woman. And a few months uh, after her accident, my friend Dan went to his son-in-law, his daughter's new husband. And he asked a very practical question. He said to him, do you intend to stay with my daughter? Because someone had to care for her. I mean, there, there are days I'm sure when someone has to tie her shoes, things like that. And the young man, the new husband, looked at his father-in-law and with great conviction, he said, yes, I'm going to stay with your daughter. He said, I made that decision the day I married her. Can you feel that? That's powerful. That's amazing. Real love is enduring the choices when the choices don't make sense. It's just hard to find what's right about that. 
That's real love. So how can we detect it when there's an absence of love? When it's just not in our lives, when we're not really experiencing that level of character development. I mean, it's just kind of missing, it's lacking. How do we know that? Well, here's a few things. I'll put these on the screen. One is we have an inability to make sacrificial choices. I can make demanding choices. I can make uh, legalistic choices, but not sacrificial ones. It's hard for me to do that. So it's an inability to make choices that cost me something. Here's another thing, uh, self-absorption occurs. Self-pity, self-centeredness, self-aggrandizing, constantly needing to be the center of everything. How do I look? What's the appearance I'm making in front of others? It's all about me. That's a lack of love. Here's a, here's a third one, a, a coldness toward God, the things of God, the people of God. You know, it's always fascinating to me why we repent so earnestly of uh, breaking the ninth commandment, which is don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Please, God, don't make me such a selfish, covetous person. Forgive me my sins for wanting, you know, that. Um, we're quick to confess that sin, but we rarely confess the sin of God. I'm sorry that I don't love you as I should, which is the first commandment. Love God with all of your heart. We spend most of our time repenting of all kinds of things, but we don't always sense the seriousness, the, the consequential aspect of being loveless, of being devoid of the love of God. We don't really love God the way we need to. We, do, we don't love the things of God. We don't love the word of God. We don't love the worship of God. We don't love prayer to God. We don't love our fellow man. We don't love the work of God. These are all clues that we don't really love God. Assess that, evaluate that. In Acts chapter 19, there's a powerful story of the church there where this was a pagan, secular culture in Asia Minor, uh, modern day Turkey and here in Ephesus, uh, the people came to know Jesus through the uh, preaching of the apostle Paul. It was a powerful revival. And these are, were people who were, were pagans and they had idols. They not only began to love God more than their possessions, they began to love God more than their pagan statues and such. And they were actually melting these things down and pouring valuable <laughs> metals melted down in the street just let down the drain, literally. It was, it was an amazing move of, of, of a revival of love in Ephesus. And just a few years later, Paul writes the church in Ephesus and he said, oh, that you might know the love of God. Watch this, the width and the height and the depth and the breadth to comprehend it with all the saints, the love of God. It's just amazing, beautiful. And then in Revelation chapter two, we find John, the, the revelator under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, working through a list of churches, uh, New Testament churches. And the first one mentioned there is the church at Ephesus, this church. And he, and, he, and he says, I know that you've been strong, that you've resisted error, that you've stood strong for your faith. But he said, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love, your first love. Else I come and remove the lampstand, the light of my presence. So here was fair warning that the highest and best and most virtuous position to hold is the position of love, love for God, love for one another. Yeah, the cry of Jesus to his church, I think in this hour is simply, do you love me? Do you love me? It's a good question. 
in the midst of a pandemic, isn't it? You're finding out what you miss. You're finding out what you care about. You're finding out what your values are. You're finding out what your priorities are. Finding out who you love. You love God. Well, there's a way to identify the presence of love, God's love in our lives. Let me just go through a list of those briefly. Maybe this will encourage and validate your heart and life. The first one is the ability to make decisions of importance. The ability to make good decisions that really matter is a product. It's a result of the love of God. You see, without the love of God, we'll be double-minded, confused. When pressure points like a global pandemic come our way, it just disorients us. And, and, and it's hard for us to, to, to read the compass very well. We, we can't get our bearings very well. It's disorienting. But the love of God helps us to stay focused and help us to stay tuned in to what's really important, what's really valuable. And so it adds to this process of making decisions. Uh, People without the love of God find themselves reacting rather than being proactive in relationships. Um, You know, you might might hear a woman say, well, you know, my husband would never cheat on me. He loves me. Sweetheart, listen to me. Your husband may love you, but that's not enough. That's not enough. He need also love God. See, a person who doesn't love God cannot ultimately be trusted. Can't be trusted. Not ultimately. Maybe a good person, maybe a good intention, maybe well-motivated. But if the love of God is absent, this is the anchor point. This is the power point. This is, this is what gives people power to make right decisions. The love of God. I love God, therefore, I'm going to order my life in this way in a God-honoring way. Here's another thing, uh, a result of love is you become grace-motivated and not judgmental. (laughs) This is a big deal in our world today. Love allows you to know the difference between mountains and a molehill. The loveless person who is always concerned about the rules and about about the lists and the things that that are right and the things that are wrong, Uh, sees the tiny speck as an insurmountable barrier in relationships, an opportunity to love someone. But the man filled with love, the woman filled with love, sees that just as an opportunity to love more, to accept people, to forgive people. Remember the rule of thumb in relationships. If there's someone different from you, disagrees with you, at odds with you, uh, or on the same page with you, here's the rule of thumb in every relationship. Just love people. Just love people. When you get confused about what's happening in the moment, refer to this rule. Just love people. What's the best way to genuinely, authentically love that person? It helps. Helps a lot. Here's another thing we might call it number C. Grow in wisdom and discernment. It's a result of love. See, when you love God, you begin to think the thoughts of God. You begin to understand the ways of God. So loving God actually gives you a context, a perspective through which you can interpret what's going on around you. So you have world events, you have current events, you have geopolitical events, you have pandemic events, you have all of these pressure points and, and ideas and, and concerns floating around everywhere. When you love God, 
you think the thoughts of God, you understand the ways of God. Dear one, this is powerful. This is very important. (laughs) This is then the filter through which you process what happens in the world around you. And it gives you enormous wisdom and discernment. People who love God have a huge advantage in a world which we live in. Here's another D, others are affirmed and set free in my presence when I love God. Therefore, people are allowed to mature in the presence of a person who loves. They're they're able to grow. They're free to be themselves. They don't have to wonder if that person is gonna attack me or judge me or try to hurt me in some way, straighten me out, control me, manipulate me. Instead, a person who genuinely loves God is able to love the people around them so that it frees them to grow and mature into the person God wants them to be. Where love exists, people grow. Happens all the time. Love will make you want to do right. Lovelessness, on the other hand, will tend toward bitterness and rebellion. So others are affirmed to set free. Here's another E, love drives faith. Did you realize there's a connection between love and faith? An immediate connection. Watch this. Love is the power by which faith works. In Galatians 5, 6, it says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. So faith works by love. Love is like the engine that drives faith. I mean, faith is ultimately, it's trusting God, right? It's, it's believing God for things that are unseen. It's, it's, it's believing and trusting and relying on God. That's what faith is about. And faith then is energized. It's given fuel by love. The more you love God, the more your faith will grow. It's a very, very, very strong thing. So, so faith Uh, isn't produced by doing what's right or confessing it right or trying to generate it or motivate it. The reason folks can't get any air under their wings of faith is because their love for God is too small. So the more love you have, the better your faith. Now here's here's, uh, just two more uh, results of love. One is love is the key to success. (laughs) In Revelation 12, 11, we, we have their context that would suggest that loving God more than anything else enables you to walk in victory in life. It's where success comes. So love is the key. It's actually the key to overcoming in life. If I love God more than my business, if I love God more than my reputation, if I love God more than my material possessions, if I love God more than my earthly desires and passions, if I love God more than all of that, then I have the right perspective and I will find success in life, in my relationships, in my decisions, in all of my aspirations. The love of God is the key to that success. Here's the last thing. Love love glorifies God in the world. It glorifies God. People are making deep, profound decisions about God and about their faith. And you know how they're doing, how they're processing those decisions? It's pretty straightforward. They're doing it by watching our lives. They're watching us. They're watching us right now. In the middle of this pandemic, how are the people of God responding to this? What do Christians do under this kind of pressure, this kind of threat? 
That's why, that's why we're seeing so many new people tuning into these online services around the world. Why people are responding to Christ. People are coming to Jesus, expressing their faith in him because, because they're noticing Christians are holding steady in the midst of a storm, going through the wilderness and trusting in God's provision, walking through this valley and, and finding hope in Christ. Yeah, the love of God glorifies God in the world. Many years ago, uh, when my dad, my dad came to faith in Christ, uh, I was there. I was present when he prayed to receive Christ into his own life. My dad uh, passed away at the age of 88. He's been in heaven for, uh, for 16 months, earth time, 16 months. And I'm really proud of him and happy for him. My dad prayed the sinner's prayer. He confessed his sins all those years ago, received Christ, his forgiveness, his love. And my dad added a line to the prayer that evening. And he simply said, oh God, help me to love everybody and help me to love everybody. What a great prayer. What a great prayer. And God answered that prayer for my dad. He was a great lover of people. Let me just uh, summarize this way. Love is not two actors kissing on screen. Love is not two people walking hand in hand on a moonlit beach. That's not love. Love is a man carrying a cross down a crowded street. Insults, beating, spitting, kicking, crown of thorns on his head, whipped as he goes, ultimately being nailed up, crucified. And then in the course of those hours, finally saying, Father, forgive them all. Forgive them all. They don't know what they're doing. And God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you be encouraged today, friends, in the love of God? If you walk in the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And the first and foremost fruit of the spirit of God is love. May the love of God be shed abroad in our hearts, enlarging our character, enlarging the nature of Christ within us so that we can authentically love God and love each other. Praise God. Well, let's pause and pray just for a moment. Let's think about these things and ask for God's help. Oh God, we know that in order to know your love, we need to know you. And so today we yield to the authority of Christ, the model of Christ, the example of Christ, and we receive his cross, which was the ultimate expression of love, a willful, volitional choice to give up his life for the sake of us all. And so, Lord, we not only take up the cross today, we also ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Because as we are filled with your spirit and we walk after the spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Remind us today, Lord, there's no real love apart from you. Only discouragement, bondage, hopelessness, diminished life. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus, you came to give us life 
life in abundance. And that life begins and ends with the love of God that we too can receive and experience. So help us to know your love today, we pray. Maybe some of you listening in right now and you've never really taken that first step to express your gratitude for God's love for you, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. You can do that today. The Bible says that as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so you can receive this gift of life today. And you can do so by just praying these words right after me. You can say them out loud or just pray them in your heart. God will hear you. Just pray right after me. Dear gracious God, I am a sinner. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark. But I believe that you love me. Love me so much. You gave your only son to die on my behalf. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Forgive my sins. Come into my life. I want to love you and I want to love others. Thank you for the gift of life and for the hope I now receive. My life belongs to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, we have a way to connect with you if you've just prayed that prayer or if you have other needs in your life. You can just use your phone and text 123GO. The number is 123 and the letters GO. 123GO to the number. Text that message to the number 94000. 94000. There will be a menu there where you can check your particular need or the decision you've made for Christ today and we'll be in touch with you. God bless you. God bless you and be at peace.